Chapter 4 A Ride for Richie I knew it wasn't the smart thing to do but I couldn't think of any other way to relieve the nagging thoughts that plagued me. My studies suffered. My social life suffered. My whole mentality had collapsed into a constant obsession. It was the only way I knew to end the pain. To be honest, I wasn't even sure that this would end the anxiety. It all depended upon what I would discover. I had to find out how a guy with such a selfless spirit and zest for life could wind up murdered in a small hick town and lying on my lab table at the age of 25. The one way I knew to grant his memory the respect it deserved was to find out why, how and who had committed the lethal act. I was wondering what Doc Damas would think when he got my note. I was hoping that he would understand and respect my decision. I had had many conversations with him throughout the term and had mentioned my intentions on several occasions. He was an insightful man and was fully aware of my mental state. Each time I spoke with him he struggled to talk me out of my raging compulsion. I knew he was a man of no religion, maybe even an atheist but surely an agnostic at best. In spite of it, he still used the old, let vengeance be mine saith the Lord and quotes from Dante's Inferno trying to expel my demon. As I drove towards Cannonsboro, I could hear my mother's voice echoing in my head. It repeated her litany of admonishments for my foolhardy and more than likely even dangerous venture as she had called it. I had only one semester to go before my internship and now I had dropped out. I was headed to Cannonsboro to find answers to the questions that haunted me. As I neared the town, my eyes scanned the roadside for a motel with a vacancy sign. I passed several but all of them looked like high rent. Then, about three miles into my search I found what I was looking for, Kathy's Place Motel, no big chain, just a small, well-worn, mom-and-pop operation and looking cheap. I pulled in. The woman behind the desk looked to be about in her sixties, stocky, with short gray hair and a broad smile. She wore a name badge, Hi I'm Kathy. Forty a night, thirty-five by the week she announced as I approached the desk. How did you know what I was going to ask? I answered. That's what everybody asks the first thing when they walk into this place. Why would you be any different? She said with a grin. I smiled back and replied, let me see it. We walked to a room at the far end of the parking lot behind the office. It was small but well kept. It didn't have the dinginess that I was expecting. It had a good-sized TV, the old-fashioned CRT type, and in the wall AC with a rumbling fan, an old but sparkling clean bathroom and hopefully, no bed bugs. I'll take it I announced, for a week, 235, right? You got bad math maybe on purpose, huh? She replied. I smiled as she hesitated for a moment. But okay, I guess. I'm not going to argue for 10 bucks, she sighed as we walked back to the office. I unpacked the car and went out to get a six-pack of beer to keep me company for the night. I came back, popped open a bottle and sat on the edge of the bed. What the hell am I doing here, I thought. Christ only knows. Maybe I'm going nuts after all, came my own sobering answer from deep within. I didn't go back for my last semester and now to make it even crazier, I was spending my tuition money on an adventure with a purpose of which I was unsure. I really didn't know why or what I would do next. The only thing I did know for sure is that I had to do something to relieve the constant gnaw at my psyche. I couldn't shake the ceaseless internal inquisition as to how and why my best friend could have wound up dead on a morgue slab. To simply sit and ponder day after day would not lessen the pain. I had to act, rationally, 
I knew that acting without clear purpose or plan was a fool's errand but felt compelled to do something and as foolish as it might be, this was it. Coming to Cannonsboro, the place of Richie's death was the only thing I could think of doing and somehow it did serve to reduce my anxiety. Why, I really didn't know but it did. I took another long slug of beer and finished the first bottle. It will probably take another two or three more beers to help me figure out what to do next I thought to myself with a snicker. I popped the next and proceeded to rip through the six-pack at lightning speed. The next thing I recall was the sound of a car starting out in the parking lot. Sunlight poured in through the window. I raised my head a few inches from the pillow and felt a sharp pain across my forehead. My head fell back to the pillow as if struck by a sledgehammer. Ethel is not a lady. She shows you a real good time at night and the next morning she turns out to be a bitch. Several minutes passed and I finally summoned the strength to stumble into the bathroom and wash the cotton from my mouth. I looked in the mirror. My eyes looked like two piss holes in the snow as we used to say when I was a kid. I grabbed a couple of aspirin from my suitcase hoping they might provide some relief. I walked over to the armchair next to the window and sat down. As soon as I did that relentless, nagging thought returned and with even more ardor. What should I do next? I guess my hope that the additional five beers would have helped to answer my question didn't really work out because there it was again, still unanswered. Going to the Cannonsboro police station wouldn't prove a thing. I had called there so often that they knew it was me by the sound of my voice. As far as getting any information goes, well, I got none. Every time the same old story, the case is under investigation and no information is available at this time. Richie had often spoken about his aunt OMM he called her. She was his father's sister and that was the nickname he had given her. He pronounced it OM like the Buddhist mantra word, but it was spelled OMM and it stood for Old Maid Madeline. Evidently, Richie's aunt was never married and thus was dubbed with OMM. He never mentioned her full name only her first name and the nickname she had been given he just always called Aunt O.M.M. I assumed being his father's unmarried sister, it was most probably Madeline Williams. He said that his aunt was a teacher at the high school in Cannonsboro. I reached for my laptop and punched in Cannonsboro High School. The website came up in a flash and I clicked on the staff tab. There she was Madeline Williams, English 1 and 2. I should have done this long before I decided to drive all the way out here I thought to myself, but I didn't so what is done is done. I clicked on contact and wrote, Dear Ms. Williams. I am a longtime friend of your nephew Richie. He and I attended both high school and college together. News of his death reached me several weeks ago. I was greatly saddened and disturbed by it. I have been seeking information about the circumstances of his death ever since but have obtained no details. I was not even able to obtain a crime report from your local police. I looked for his death notice in your town's newspaper on the internet, but it was not archived. I would like to speak with you about this at your earliest convenience. My phone number is 876-888-9874. I look forward to hearing from you. I signed my name and clicked send. It wasn't long before my phone rang. It was Madeline. With a brief conversation we arranged to meet that afternoon, after school at the coffee cup. The coffee cup was located on Main Street in downtown Cannonsboro. It was easy to find. Downtown consisted of about 20 small shops, a couple of bars, a bank, two gas stations and of course, a CVS, 
a Burger King and a McDonald's. I parked in front and walked in. Madeline was waiting for me. I knew it was she since she was the only black person in the place. She appeared to be in her well-preserved fifties, slim, of light complexion, with short curly, bleached hair and well-dressed. She was a good-looking woman for her age. I was surprised by her appearance. I always associated old maids with a short, dowdy, plain look. Madeline didn't at all meet my expectations in that regard. I introduced myself, sat down and after a bit of courteous banter got down to business. I don't know if you are aware of this, but Richie was murdered I said and followed it with an explanation of how I had seen his body in the anatomy lab and how Dr. Damis had immediately identified him as a murder victim. That's not what the paper said. It didn't say a thing about murder. It was a very short piece which said that a young man was discovered on the sidewalk at about 2 a.m. by a paroling police car and that the cause of death was assumed to be accidental. It said that blood tests found the victim was intoxicated and that probably contributed to his death. It also said that no identification was found on the body. That's all it said. So how did you find out it was Richie? I asked. Well, he had come to visit with me two days before. He used to come and visit his old auntie as he called me, once or twice a year when he had vacation time from school. He'd usually stay two or three days. The night he was found, he'd left my house earlier that evening and said he was going down to the miner's shaft. It's a bar downtown. I saw it on the way over here I interjected. He said he was going to meet some friends he'd made over the times he'd been here before when he was visiting with me she continued. Do you know their names? I again interjected. No, I don't. When he didn't come home that night, I got worried. I knew he would never just stay out all night without telling me or at least calling. I called the bar in the morning and spoke to the bartender. She said Richie had been there for about an hour or two and then left. That's all they knew. How did she know it was Richie who was there? I asked. How many black people do you think would be in a white bar in this town and not be noticed? She replied. After that I called the police and reported him missing. And what did they tell you? After I described him, they told me about finding his body the night before and I went down to the police station to identify him from the pictures they had taken. Did you ever actually see the body? No. They said they wanted to spare me, and I agreed. I just couldn't. What about the funeral? I asked. There wasn't any. As you know Richie wanted his body to go to science. He didn't want a funeral either. He always said he wanted people to remember him as he was, not as a waxy-looking corpse in a box as he used to say. So, the end result, we had a memorial service but not a funeral as such, she explained. Yeah, said the same thing to me I answered. Did the police give you any more information other than what was in the paper? No, they didn't. But here's some things that I do know she then continued. Richie was said to be found with no ID. How could he be going to a bar without his wallet? How would he pay for his drinks? If he had merely forgotten it, he certainly would have discovered it missing and come back here to get it. The newspaper said it was determined he was drunk. I never saw Richie get drunk, never. I agreed, neither had I. Then she continued. Being a high school teacher in a small town for a long time you pick up a lot of things from the kids either directly or when they're talking with each other. Sometimes the stuff you hear is all nonsense and rumor but a lot of the time it's true. 
The name Derek Hulse came up a couple of times after Richie was murdered and that name rang a familiar bell for a couple of reasons. And those reasons being, I interjected. Well, he was in the high school some years back, maybe five or six. He was a whole lot of trouble and I mean trouble with a capital T. I don't even know if he ever graduated. If he didn't it sure wasn't because they kicked him out. No way was that going to happen. Why's that? I asked. He's Harold Hawking's nephew. You mean the police chief? I exclaimed. That's him she replied with a frown. You know I think I'm to going to the miner's shaft and see if I can dig anything up I thought out loud. Is that a pun? She asked. I guess so, an unintended pun but a pun all the same I replied. Being an English teacher for all these years I just can't help myself in pointing it out she answered again with a laugh. I left Madeline with a stern warning from her about being careful with whom and about what I should speak at the bar. It was the only white watering hole in the town, and anything said or even suggested, especially by a stranger, would be all over Cannonsboro within hours. Upon whose ears it might fall as anybody's guess she added soberly. I walked to the miner's shaft, about three blocks up the street. It looked to be a typical country saloon, with faded, red-checked curtains in the small windows facing the street. They framed a sputtering, blue bud light neon sign shining through the smoke-stained glass. As I entered the dimly lit bar, the sour smell of stale beer and cigar smoke left over from the night before, filled my nostrils. The bar itself stretched along the entire left wall of the building and several tables each surrounded by well-worn chairs were scattered throughout the room. They were all covered with plastic tablecloths with a pattern similar to that of the window curtains. It was about four o'clock, the lunch crowd was gone, and the after-work crowd was yet to arrive. There were only two people at the bar, an old guy at the far end talking with a younger man wearing a heavily stained cook's apron. Behind the bar, seated on a stool, was an attractive young woman fiddling with her cell phone. I walked over to the bar and sat down. All three looked over toward me with that who the fuck is this kind of stare. I motioned to the bartender and she begrudgingly slipped the phone into her pocket and walked to my end of the bar. What can I do for you? She asked. I took a good, hard look at her breast bulging through the tank top she was wearing. It was if I could smell the estrogen emanating from her every pore. I knew it was lust at first sight. My trance-like state must have been obvious because I said nothing. After a moment or so she snapped her fingers to gain my attention. Hey. What can I do for you? She asked again in a bit louder voice. I didn't tell her what I was really thinking. It's not good to be a stranger in a small hick town, especially not a smart-ass stranger so I answered with how about a hamburger and Bud Light? The guy in the apron stood up and walked back into the kitchen. Draft or a bottle? She again asked. Draft I answered, and she picked up a glass and went to the taps. I wanted to start a conversation to try and find out if she knew anything about Richie being at the bar the night of his murder. I was pretty sure however, that to start an interrogation right off the bat would get me nowhere real fast. So instead, I started with idle banter hoping it might lead to something more substantial. The miner's shaft, that's kind of a strange name for a bar, I began when she returned with a beer. Not if you know anything about the old days in Cannonsboro it isn't she answered assertively. I guess you're not from around here, huh? I should have known that a conversation with a stranger in a small hick town bar would certainly prompt that question from a local, but I foolishly hadn't prepared myself with an answer. 
I passed over the comment as quickly as I could hoping that it wouldn't be asked again until I had time to come up with a feasible reply and luckily it didn't. Would you give me another one? I asked hastily as I gulped down the remaining half a glass of beer. She immediately picked up the glass and refilled it. So, tell me about the name the miner's shaft, I again quickly asked upon her return and she readily obliged me with the story. Well, years ago this was a coal mining town. The guy that owns this place like pretty much everybody else worked in the mines. About 25 years ago there was a strike. Every mine in the area was involved and it lasted a long time. The coal company that ran the mines decided they would just wait the strikers out and kinda starve them out, if you know what I mean. So, after a couple of months into the strike the miners threw in the towel and decided to go back to work. When they finally went back, they found that the company had closed all the mines and chained off all the entrances, so nobody had a job anymore. Then one night, one of Pete's friends, Pete's the guy that owns this place, broke into the mine property. He was really depressed. He had five kids and no job. So, he broke in and committed suicide by throwing himself down the mine shaft, about 300 feet. He left a note for his wife telling what he was planning to do and why. They found his body the next day. The whole town went nuts. A bunch of them went to the mine and threw some gasoline down the shaft and lit it on fire. It's still burning today and that was years ago. When the wind blows right you can still kinda smell it. Well, anyway, Pete, just luckily, after all this happened came into some money. I think it was his great aunt died and left him a few bucks. Like I said this was just after they closed the mines on the guys so he like the rest of them didn't have a job. So, he decided to open this place and since all the miners in the town got shafted, he called it the miner's shaft. I always thought that was a pretty cool name. Like a mine shaft and the miners get shafted. Get it? Yeah, pretty cool I replied. The conversation continued. She told me her name was Sally and Sally could talk. She was like one of the old-fashioned, wind-up monkey toys that used to clap the cymbals and dance around. Once you wound it up and flip the switch it wouldn't stop. It just kept going on and on. Actually, it was good for me. I didn't have to continually come up with something to talk about so as to keep the conversation going. All I had to do was nod occasionally and interject a word or brief question here and there. She did the rest. I am guessing that she was tired of talking with the same old people day after day and the opportunity to speak with someone new, anyone new that is, was a welcome relief from the boredom. I don't think that it was my engaging personality, charm or good looks that inspired her voluminous chatter. After about an hour or so, the work crowd began to dribble in. Each time she was forced to leave the conversation to serve the newly arrived patrons, she apologized profusely and returned immediately after. Soon, the place was pretty much filled, and Sally had little time to continue her talk with me. Seeing that little more would be said and the fact that I probably had a few too many beers, I threw a $5 tip on the bar and waved goodbye. As I walked back to my car, I mulled over our lengthy chat trying to decide how I could squeeze in questions about Richie in our next conversation without them seeming to just come out of the blue. When I got to the car, I opened the door, slid behind the wheel and fell fast asleep. The next thing I knew there was a tap, tap on the window. I looked up at one of Cannonsboro's finest shining a flashlight straight into my eyes. I rolled the window down. You okay mister? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine.
I was just a little tired, so I closed my eyes and I guess I was more tired than I thought I replied. You all rested up now? He asked with a bit of sarcasm. I'm fine I replied. Okay, go on home and go to bed and with that he got back in the cop car and drove away. I drove back to the motel, sprawled on the bed and went back to sleep.